Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hi, this is Matthew Boyd, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Take a few with me. Let's all take a step back. Just because a player has success in the minor leagues doesn't make them immediately ready for a promotion. There are multiple different factors in what gets a player promoted. And truth be told, the Detroit Tigers are promoting players as fast, if not faster, than the majority of teams in Major League Baseball. We have seen Spencer Torkelson play in A-ball, double-A, and triple-A all in one season. A short season, mind you. Usually Minor League Baseball, 140 games. This year, 120 games. Doesn't matter. A-ball, double-A, triple-A. There's a couple things you need. You need to have a need. You need to have the open opportunity. Because you're not going to displace somebody who you think is a core piece to your future. If you're bringing up a great young player, there's no chance that they are part of a platoon. There is no chance that they are bench depth. They're an everyday player. Because if you see them as part of your future, they're playing every day. You need to have a need. You need to have a need. You also need to feel 100% secure in the decision. We know this. We know that player development is not linear. There have been times where players have struggled immediately upon reaching the big leagues. They have gone down to the minor leagues. They've come back up, and they have broken out. Max Scherzer, a great example of that. You want to make sure your prospects are ready. You want to make sure your big league team is ready. Look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in Toronto. Was arguably the game's best prospect of the 2010s. Best offensive prospect, hands down. He came up, he was okay. He was okay. 
He did fine. Fine is probably not what Blue Jays fans were looking for. What they're getting now is what they were looking for. But that took two full seasons. That's a long time to wait. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers have two of the best position player prospects in all of Major League Baseball. Nobody wants to come up to the major leagues if they think they're going to be there for the long haul and just be average. They want to put the league on notice. It's up to us to enable them to do that. A couple of years ago, Daz Cameron, phenomenal season in double-A, went up to triple-A, had a great close to the 2018 season. Came to spring training 2019, hit the cover off the ball. Tiger said, let's go down to Toledo. Let's check that box again so you're sure, so we're sure. And it took a little bit longer, and that's okay. That is okay. Still looking to find his way, but the Tigers did not overexpose him too soon. And when you're talking about some of the game's best prospects, that's the risk you don't want to take. Do not expose players too soon. There is no harm in waiting. Keep in mind that Riley Green is 20. He's 20. And he's playing against competition who's in their mid-20s. He has checked a lot of boxes. And with a guy like Riley Green, it's better safe than sorry. He is far too valuable. He is far too vital. When the Tigers think he's ready, he'll come up. When the Tigers think Spencer Torkelson's ready, he'll come up. Winners in these situations play the long game. They don't rush into things too quickly, and they don't get burned. So whether we're talking about the players in Toledo, the players in Erie, any prospect, let's just enjoy the journey. Let's enjoy the journey, not the destination. That'll be there. That will get there in due time. I understand the need, but guess what? We're finally seeing the progress at the big league level. We're seeing what we need to see at the top. The boxes are being checked. Now the rest of the meal is on the stove. Just need to let it marinate. This is the Road to Detroit podcast. I'm Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. Coming up on the show today, our first player-produced segment of the Road to Detroit podcast, Colt Keith, who's joined us earlier this season on the Road to Detroit, and Austin Murray will sit down for a one-on-one conversation with one another, and they will talk about adjusting to life through Class A, what their first professional season has found them, and how they have discovered themselves to evolve as a player this season. Really interesting player perspective. This is our edition of Road to Detroit. This is why we're the Players Podcast. Colt Keith coming up a little bit later on the show. Let's get to the news. A few news and notes from the Tigers minor league system. We've got a couple of players getting some honors, but we need to start with what happened on Sunday for the Toledo Mudhens in Omaha. And the pitch. Green skies it deep to straightaway left field. Blanco drifts back onto the track, looks at the berm, and watches it land on the grass. A two-run homer for Riley Green. First pitch to Kreidler. 
Fastball drilled down the left field line toward the corner. If it stays fair, it's gone. It's fair, and it's a home run. A two-run shot from Kreidler, and it's 7-0 Toledo in the top of the third. Keep the ball in the ballpark. The pitch. Green punches it in the air. Straight away right center field. Kyle Isbell sprints back toward the fence. He leaps, and it's gone. And Riley Green has his second home run of the ball game. Bluette delivers. Crushed to straightaway right field, and the Mud Hens have another one. Fifth home run of the game for Toledo. Cody Clemens hits one onto the right field berm. One two pitch. Crushed deep to center field. Isbell looks up. That ball's gone onto the berm. Spencer Torkelson blasts one. Now pitch to Clemens. Golf to straightaway right field. Mejia drifts back, looks toward the fence, and that one's gone. Back-to-back -back home runs for the Mudhens. They've got seven today. It's the second for Cody Clemens, and it's now 11-6 Toledo. That's right. Six home runs for the Toledo Mudhens, who beat Omaha 11-10. But it was who hit home runs for Toledo in this particular ballgame. You just heard him. Two homers for Riley Green, two for Cody Clemens, a home run for Ryan Kreidler, and a home run for Spencer Torkelson. When all four of those guys homer in the same ball game, <laughs> chef's kiss. An 11-10 victory for West Michigan over Omaha. Omaha! Omaha! <laughs> Ray Rivera, the first baseman from West Michigan, the high-A central player of the week. Hit four home runs last week. They actually all came in the first three days. Rivera has 17 home runs this season for West Michigan. It's the most that a Whitecaps player has had since Lance Durham back in 2013. That's Leon Durham's son. Former Tigers hitting coach. Had a long career as a coach with the Toledo Mudhens. So congrats to Ray Rivera. Meanwhile, in the Florida Complex League, Manuel Sequeira the 18-year-old leads the Florida Complex League, which features a ton of outstanding talent. He leads that league at 18 years old in home runs with 11, RBIs with 33, and 78 total bases. Keep in mind, they've only played 39 games. He's got 11 homers and 33 runs batted in. And again, he's doing it at just 18 years old. There is growth and there is room for improvement still in his future was signed two years ago out of Venezuela. That was the same year the Tigers went to international free agency and signed Roberto Campos. He's a Tigers top 10 prospect. But Sakara was highly regarded, has shown himself to be a really good athlete, big-time power, still learning the shortstop position. But he's a big guy. The good news is, with the power he's displayed, he doesn't have to be a shortstop. He could play a number of different positions. I'll tell you what, if those power numbers are what they are, I honestly don't care about much else at this particular stage in the game. With him being just 18 years old, he has plenty of time to figure out some of the other nuances of this game, but you can't teach 11 homers in 38 games. You can't teach 33 runs batted in. You just you don't get that from 18-year-olds. Those are your news and notes. Let's hit the on-ramp. Speaking of the complex league, diving into those numbers on Sakara, 7 for 15 to be exact. The double, six runs batted in. Three home runs all came in the same game. That was against the Blue Jays. And that was just what the East team did. On the West team, Isaac Pacheco 
Went into a bit of a slump, but he's working his way out. He's now on a six-game hitting streak, had a double and an RBI, and just as Bigby. That, that sounds like a character from an old Western show, right? Like, that sounds like it's like Yosemite Sam's friend, just as Bigby. The 19th <laughs> rounder out of Western Carolina finished the week with a double, a triple, and five runs batted in. Off to low A Lakeland. The Flying Tigers won three out of five against Clearwater. They're starting to finish the season on a high note. Carlos Mendoza, who was fantastic down in the Complex League, finished 7 for 11 for Low A Lakeland. Two doubles, a triple, two runs batted in. This season altogether, he's hitting over 360 with 15 runs batted in. To High A West Michigan, the Whitecaps won 5 out of 6 over the Peoria Chiefs. Yeah. The Whitecaps won Five out of six over an opponent for the first time since sweeping Lake County. That was the Indians' high A team all the way back at the end of May. Jake Holson finished six for 20, two homers, one of which was an inside-the-park home run. And Jake Holson, who will admit he is not the fastest player on a baseball diamond, even he did not think he'd have an inside-the-park home run this season. Six RBIs for the week. Meanwhile, Austin Murr. I'll tell you what, somebody needs to get Austin Murr in this Detroit Tigers top prospect list immediately. The fact that there are top 30 prospect lists sitting around right now and Austin Murr is not one of them, I don't even know if he's a top 30 prospect. He might be a top 15 prospect. He now holds the longest hitting streak of any white cap this season. He was 9 for 23 last week, a double and three runs batted in. Meanwhile, Parker Meadows muscled up against Peoria. He ended up with one of the longest home runs we've seen all season in West Michigan, 433 feet. That is a pretty left-handed swing when everything is on time. He ended up 7 for 24 against the Peoria Chiefs. That's West Michigan. Here's Double A Erie. The Seawolves won 4 out of 6 at home against Harrisburg. Daniel Cabrera, the Tigers' 2020 second second-round pick, well, Daniel Tiger has now roamed his way to Erie, Pennsylvania. The line out in the sixth, the 0-1. He crushes it the other way. This time, past the look of Freeman, and this one is way out of here. Daniel Cabrera, his first double-A home run is a two-run shot, and the Seawolves are back within two. Good to see that for Cabrera, hitting the ground running in double-A. Meanwhile, Andre Lipsius hit safely in all five games against Harrisburg, a double and a home run, and Joey Wentz now fully rounding back into form that made him a Tigers top 10 prospect before Tommy John surgery. Four and two-thirds innings, struck out seven, allowed only one earned run in one of his most recent starts. Off to Triple A Toledo, the Mud Hens won three out of four against Omaha. We told you about what these players did on Sunday, but Spencer Torkelson had four home runs on the week. Riley Green went nine for 30, a double, a triple, two homers in that game on Sunday. Cody Clemens was nine for 22. He just continues to hit the ball hard. And when you're playing on a team with guys like Torkelson and Green and Kreidler, it can be easy to get lost in the sauce, but Cody Clemens has had a great second half. And meanwhile, Ryan Kreidler, Phenomenal start for him as well at the AAA level. Three homers, eight runs batted in, 19 games. He's got an on-base percentage of almost 420. It is fun to be in Toledo right now. That's a look at the on-ramp. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. We've gotten tons of feedback on the show 
tons of different comments, tons of messages, whether it's DMs or text messages or tweets. One thing is clear. You want more Colt Keith. You want more Colt Keith. You want more Austin Murr. Colt Keith, we talked to him earlier this season on the Road to Detroit podcast. You can go back to episode seven, the man from everywhere, just 19 years old at the time, was one of the best podcasts in this show's history. And for this next special feature here on the Road to Detroit, we become the Players Podcast. Colt Keith and Austin Murr, two members of the West Michigan Whitecaps. Colt Keith, a top 15 prospects for Detroit. Austin Murr is obviously working his way into that conversation with a phenomenal professional debut. They will both join us next, and they will answer not only some of the most important questions about their careers, but also they complement each other exceptionally well. Austin Murr is only two years older, but he's got a lot of different life experience having gone through the college ranks as opposed to somebody like Colt. And all of a sudden, look here, 2021, end of the season, they're both playing high A baseball. Well, we have been aching for a player's podcast. Over the course of the last couple of months, we have been made aware that this is a show that has been listened to not only by you as Tigers fans, but by players in the Tigers minor league system themselves. That's something that really stands out. That's something that I know that we are proud of as a show. And if that is true, this show needs to give players a chance to run said podcast. This is the Players Podcast. And coming up next, you are in for a treat because two of the players in Lightspeed becoming household names to Tigers fans who are invested in the prospects and the Tigers minor league system. Colt Keith, the Tigers number 12 prospect, he will join us and he will be joined by Austin Murr. I'll tell you what, I think there's some kind of crime being committed that Austin Murr is not currently on a top 30 prospect list. I got a feeling that's about to change here over the course of the next couple of weeks and months. I'm very, very excited for both of these guys. I think they've had a phenomenal season. And now we get an opportunity to talk to a couple of young men who have different perspectives. Colt, of course, did not play college baseball. He ended up going straight from high school to the professional ranks. Meanwhile, Austin Murr went to college, went to a couple of different schools, and finished out with a phenomenal season at NC State, going all the way to the Final Four of the College World Series. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and listen as the players take over the Road to Detroit podcast. Hey everybody, this is the Road to Detroit podcast. My name's Cole Keith. And I'm Austin Murr. And this is the Players Podcast. Austin, what'd you do on your off day yesterday? I kind of took advantage of the first uh, weekend of college football and really caught up with that. It's my favorite time of the year personally with uh, college football and NFL football kind of getting going with college football this week and uh, NFL next week. I'm certainly looking forward to it. A big year for the uh, NC State Wolfpack and... Uh, the uh, Green Bay Packers. I'm certainly looking forward to it, but how about you? Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, sat around and, and let my body rest and slept in a lot and, uh, you know, just chilled around like you, watched football, watched ESPN, and, and didn't do much. Um, so uh, let's uh, talk about the differences between life in West Michigan and, the, and life in Lakeland. Yeah, uh, I certainly have not had much time in Lakeland. I've after I got picked, I went down there, worked out for a few weeks before getting with the uh, Flying Tigers for 
about two weeks as well, and so I kind of got thrown into thrown into the mix right away with getting introduced with all the new draft guys, and then with the the Flying Tigers team. So I was able to meet a meet a bunch of new guys and kind of get acclimated down there. Started to kind of meet everybody and really just tell the difference between professional ball and college baseball, which is certainly a little bit different. Not nothing crazy. It's still obviously baseball, but um, goals and the um, the direction of where where you want to go and more of individual development and stuff is is um, for sh- certainly a little bit different. But um, and then up to West Michigan, I certainly enjoy the uh, summer up here a little bit more. Just being from Minnesota, I was being down in the hundred degree weather in Florida. I was not a fan of, but to be up in West Michigan, it's certainly um, a lot of fun and. Um, a new opportunity here too to get to know a bunch of new 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 guys in the org and uh, things like that. So I certainly have not had a huge sample size of West Michigan and Lakeland, but that's certainly a few a few differences or similarities so far. I was in Lakeland for a long time actually. Uh, beginning of the season, obviously I had spring training. Uh, Murden has spring training because he you know he got drafted in uh, June, but. I went to spring training and, and ultimately started an extended spring training, and that was a brutal grind of waking up at 6 a.m. and, and playing in the 100-degree humid heat every day. And um, from there, I re- played really well and extended and, and got promoted to Lakeland, the Flying Tigers. Played there for a couple of months, and, and it was a blast. It was really my first taste of pro ball. and. Um, Again, it was it was 100 degrees and, and humid and every day. Maybe it rained once a day, but it was right back to 100 after that. Um, it was brutal. I mean, I mean, just just being so hot. I mean, in the time I didn't know that there was there was going to be better much else. But after coming up to West Michigan, I realized that that these guys are spoiled up here with the weather. I mean, ever since I've been up here, it's been what 70 to 80 degrees and sunny pretty much every day. Exactly. Um, we had run rain out rain out. Uh, few two weeks ago in Lakeland or I mean Lansing and uh other than that I mean it hasn't rained much it's been pretty much perfect um but uh you know I've I really like it up here I like the guys the competition is obviously a lot better um the pitches you know the pitches move a lot more and and um guys throw harder and the game kind of speeds up um but other than that, dude, I've I've had a great time up here so far. I think we got we got a week's home series left here, and then off to Lansing, and then and then it's the end of the season for us. Yeah, it's for for sure wrapping up quick, and obviously for you playing uh, your first full season of professional baseball. I'm sure I'm sure you're kind of getting ready to to wind down. Uh, how many games are you at? Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to wind down. Well, I think I played. I don't know how many games I played, but I mean, I only missed the first month in Lakeland other than that I've been playing every day so I mean it's been a grind for three and a half months straight and I mean I'm excited for the next two weeks but I'm also excited for the off season and then and then obviously we have instructs after that so um and then we got four months off to hang out with the families and and lift and do as we please in the off season so I'm excited for that all right finish this sentence the thing I'm most proud of from this year is blank um, it's a good question. Um, the thing I'm most proud of this year is probably going back to college and the postseason run we had. Um, there was a lot of adversity that we had to overcome the season and getting through getting through our college season and with with COVID and everything and 
um, just the full the full season of pressure of the draft. I know a lot of guys a lot of guys sometimes feel that with um, scouts at games every day and stuff, and still trying to balance that and doing everything you can to help your team win. And so I think our team did a great job of that, and obviously. We, we we hit a long run in the postseason and stuff, and so I was proud of that. And and just the run we went on, obviously, um, unforeseen circumstances, the way the way it ended, and um, wish I don't wish that upon anybody or to to have the season and and the way that it did. But just just to do that, and then for me personally to see all my all my old teammates um, find find new spots or head back to school for one more year and. And, and to see that and to see everybody being successful where they're at, that's that's something that's awesome to see and awesome to keep keep following. I've got buddies who got picked and are in all over the country right now playing in complex leagues or affiliated teams and stuff or, or back down at school for, for their last year or second to last year at school. And so everybody found a spot that was the best fit for them, and that was really – it's really awesome to see and um, – just just to be able to follow and and keep in touch with everybody but i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you the same question as well um to finish that sentence sentence of what you're most proud of um for me uh i was i was really proud of myself when i started an extended ball and and that's prepares you to go to gcl and um you know being able to to overcome the the early mornings and and you know, long days, long practices, and be able to, t- to still perform every day and um, with the idea of moving up levels. Um, you know, I had the, the ultimate goal of, of getting to Lakeland and, and finishing there, and, um, you know, I surpassed that goal and, and played my butt off in Lakeland and, and made it up to West Mish, and I'm really proud of that, that I moved up two levels in one year, and um, I'm really happy with my first year of pro ball, and hopefully I can finish it out in the last two weeks. Um, Murray, I have I have actually a question for you that uh, that I've actually personally wanted to know. What's the difference between when you went to the College World Series or when you played like big conference game games in your um, your conference, you know, whoever is against? What's the difference between let's say high A baseball pitching or you know the game speed and uh, Omaha or your big conference games in college? Yeah, the um, the speed of the game with take out pitching the speed of the game is pretty similar it, it's it's moving pretty quick and and you always got to kind of be be on your toes and always be prepared because somebody's always looking to take an extra base on you or a dirt ball or, or things like that um pitching wise certainly the as we got into the postseason and the postseason run that we had um it, it was pretty similar. Um, our last our last four games were 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 pretty tough. We had to face Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, um, Kevin Copps, and Brendan Beck, all current or former players of the year, Golden Golden Spikes winners. And so we 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 saw Copps uh, a few a few weeks ago um, up here, and he's he's doing 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 pretty well at this level right now too. And so for sure, towards the end of the season, we we had to face. Or we were facing pretty pretty elite competition, but compare comparatively, every every starter we're seeing is usually comparative to a to, to a weekend starter in the ACC, which 
I personally um, enjoyed or it was it was nice to to be able to play in that conference because I feel like it really prepared me to high A ball right now because it's definitely very similar. Um, if if I if I wasn't like last year, I had 15 games of a of a college season and I never got to play in the ACC series. And so, I think if I if I didn't experience a full season like I did this year, it certainly would be a lot more overwhelming. Obviously, you never you never went to college, and so it's it's certainly a, a different point of view for you and stuff and but but for me personally I think it helped a lot obviously it's still not the same you're swinging a different bat and and you're you're facing guys who are older than you are and have know what they're doing and have a lot more pitchability but um at the same at the same time it's 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 a little different yeah for me um even from high school to to pro ball yeah we were using those nice aluminum bats drop threes I mean like for me, I, I could miss a ball and pop up, and it still might sneak out of here. And and that was like, I think that was the biggest um, difference, you know. Obviously, besides pitching, but like it, it was something that I really needed to get used to. Uh, you know, the ball doesn't fly off off those wood bats like it does off those aluminum bats. Um, what would I have enjoyed about the college experience if I would have chose to go to Arizona State and forego the draft? It was it, certain. <laughs> There, there would have been a few, few great experiences. Obviously, I don't think there's an experience quite like professional baseball. To, if you had that opportunity out of high school, but for to go to Arizona State, um, to be at a Power Five school and experience football game days, basketball game days, um, things like that before the season starts, um, it's, it's pretty cool to. I never had a college team growing up, so I never went to any big college football games or games like that and so to be able to see college football atmospheres and stuff and go to Clemson football games or you probably Arizona Arizona State games or when we would play our rivals UNC um certainly the the atmosphere and things like that in in college to go to a big school is certainly ones that um are, are pretty pretty memorable I'm, I'm looking forward to after the season ends heading back down to NC State to catch a catch a few football games just because we we had the year of no fans last year and it's it's pretty remarkable but and then going into the season in college baseball and stuff that's it's certainly a great experience and you certainly learn a lot about yourself to and time management to be able to handle juggling classes and also um playing college baseball and obviously being being a young freshman playing it's your really first time besides professional baseball to play against guys way older than you or two three four years older than you who are have been around for a little bit know what they're doing um and then just to be your first time really just kind of being on your own and having having 35 friends to hang out with every day at the field and you don't have your mom or dad to go home to and yeah to get in your ear to do your laundry and stuff and yeah and, and i think i think obviously i didn't go to college and and you know so obviously i wouldn't know for sure but if i had to guess i think i would have missed the relationships i would have built with my teammates and stuff like that and being in a must win atmosphere um like in high school we were in a must win atmosphere um my school was actually really good in high school so uh, we won a lot of games and so you know when we lost it was a big deal and um you know, I think in college, I mean, looking at what it is, I think that's the same way. You have to win. 
the coaches have to win. You know, if you don't, they're not going to give you time to struggle. Um, like we are in pro ball. I mean, it's, it's a process, you know, I can go out there and go oh for 40 and I'm still going to play every day because it's a process and I still have, you know, multiple years, but I really wanted to, um, get to experience that and have a chance to go to Omaha and have a chance to go to the regionals, stuff like that. I think that's what I would have missed the most, but I guess we'll never know, huh? <laughs> exactly. If you could take one quality or attribute from uh, any of your teammates, who who is it and what would it be? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'd say, let's see. I, I would want to take uh, – I mean, I'm working on it, and it's obviously something I can I can form. But um, Gage Workman's Workman's teammate ability, I guess you would call it. Um, I'd, I think he's the best teammate I've ever had. You know, he's always behind you. I mean, he like we go out to shortstop in third, and he just struck out or whatever he did, and he's still talking to me about um, you know my ground balls or what I need to do around the around the bag, and you know, giving me suggestions and just telling me you know it's a process and everything's going to be all right and, and you know he just struck out on three pitches and it's like I don't know how that guy's not losing his mind out there like that's how I usually am is I'm losing my mind mm -hmm. but um yeah uh what about you what, what's a quality you could take from any of your teammates who would it who would it be and what is it I would like to hit baseballs as far as Ray Rivera um I think that would be pretty cool um, in the three weeks I've been here, I've seen him hit a lot of balls very far, and uh, I certainly admire that. I hope someday I can grow into that, or or uh, maybe maybe a good goal of the off season is to is to, to kind of channel some of that some of that strength that 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 he is because he's fun, he's fun to watch when he can get a hold of one. But yeah, I think he hit. I mean, no one's obviously here, but I think he hit what two over that or three over that building over there in right field yeah he two or three he, which which obviously you guys aren't here looking at but what does that say it's like 330 down the line and the building's probably another 50 60 feet back and he cleared it all three times i'd with say ease. i'd say a good 450 yeah yeah Mul so multiple times i think we'd all we could all take a little bit of his power that'd be sweet <laughs> in baseball if you fail seven out of ten times you make the hall of fame what have you learned about how to deal with failure? Uh, I've, I've certainly learned a lot about failure Failure in my time playing college baseball, whether it was at junior college or at, or at NC State. I I, had, I, had a, I was fortunate to have a pretty good first year at, at uh, DMACC, my junior college. I ended up hitting close to, close to 500 and stuff, but it was really my first full season playing baseball I had never had a hitting coach I'd never played only baseball for a season and stuff and I, I just did it to have fun and so now now you're playing to, with a little bit more on the line and 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 it's a little bit a little bit more serious and stuff and and I still remember being being a freshman I, looking back it, it was kind of one of those seasons where you don't remember much just because it, it all went so fast and you didn't take the time to slow slow the game down and so it really took it really took a while for me to figure out how to deal with failure i mean i had i had a great season i had a lot of success but i i still found myself every time i got out i would i'd go in the dugout slide my helmet on the on the on the bench get pretty mad and and take it take it out to the to the field where wherever i was playing and and not think about that to and to only think about well i better get a hit next next at bat because I, I got out last time, and it and it would just kind of pile on to the point where I didn't realize how to channel 
my inner my inner emotions and and how and how to deal with failing i i hadn't i didn't fail much that season but still i i was still obviously failing most of the time and so it took a full it took that season to looking back on it to be like what what was i doing like i had a great season why why am i frustrated why am i mad about it to get into my next season at junior college to where i was a little bit more comfortable and i still didn't know much about what i was doing i had a great season looking back but i don't remember much about it like i was so everything was moving so fast my really my second year my goal was to slow the game down and understand understand why i had success and to really just if maybe have more fun but but just breathe and and learn more about the game and what and why i had success and why why i did did things the way i did and so that certainly helped me with not 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 getting as mad if i hit a line drive and somebody caught it like that's that's okay like you had you had a great swing on a great pitch and so i learned that my second year to where i could keep looking forward to the next at bat or the next game or or things like that and and i think it helped me in the future to where each each season i got a little bit more i was able to handle my emotions and understand what I was doing a little bit better it was it was something I, I look back and I mean you're you're a 20 year old you're you're having a great season in professional baseball I can't imagine what I would be like in this situation right now because I I would slam my helmet every time when I was 20 years old like I was I was so mad every time and it's now looking back on that and each situation I've been in and um what what I've learned in each stop along the way is is to where I am now and and it's certainly, it's certainly um, different. I would, I guess. But how about you? Um, for me, uh, I had a similar thing in, in high school. I had two seasons in a row where I batted. I think I batted like five ten and then five thirty. Um, you know, at a six A school and a in a big school, like it was, it was you know good ba- good uh, baseball by me to um, be playing that well. But. Um, and so obviously I'm, we're, I mean, you're the similar situation. I'm used to getting five hits out of every 10 at bats, um, you know, potentially six or seven, maybe 10. And, um, you know, when I got to pro ball and, and, you know, the fielders are better, even if you do everything right and you line out, um, you know, you're, you're still, you did everything right and you still failed. Um, but you could also hit a blooper and do everything wrong and still succeed. But, yeah, that's what I learned in pro ball is that I learned that real quick that you're not gonna I'm not gonna go five for ten every ten at bats and and I had to learn from that and um, I'd say I'm still learning from that even in Lakeland I think I I batted over like 320 something like that and and that still felt like failure which is crazy like I f- I feel like I you know I, I I batted 320 but I look back and I think you know all those times I lined out or all those times I missed that pitch that was right over the middle and and I could have batted 500 you know what I mean um but you know, I'm having my really first taste of failure up here at high a um I only have 40 bats something like that but you know I'm only got like you know a handful of hits and and I'm batting below 200 and this is my first taste of failure and I'm talking to all the coaches and learning how to deal with it and um you know, hopefully I can turn it around here in the next few weeks. But if not, I, I, I'm being, you know, I'm trying to learn that it's okay and it's a process and that, that I'll figure it out. So, okay. Omer, I got you a question. Name an aspect of your job you wish fans understood more about and explain it to them. 
I'll, I'll go first if, if yeah, you think about yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, an aspect I wish the fans understood. I wish that – I mean, I got heckled pretty bad in low A at those stadiums. I've, I've been heckled a little bit here. I got heckled in Lansing. I wish that I could take every heckler, which I actually like the heckles. It, it, it brings energy to the game, and I love it. So you that are, you guys that are listening, please keep it up. I love it. Um, but I wish that every one of those hecklers could – you know, some of them have. But I wish they could go stand in the box against a 96-mile-per-hour sinker and just see what it's like, you know, and see what it's like to have a 105-mile-per-hour ground ball coming straight at your face. And, and, you know, that's why you make an error once out of ten times, whatever. But I wish those guys could experience that and, and just know how hard the game the game actually is. And um, not only would I feel like they wouldn't heckle as much – maybe they would, but um, they also would, would you know – have more fans would um you know enjoy the game more and and be more thankful for the game because they'd realize how hard it actually is so when for example Murr hits a double down the left field line they know exactly how hard that is to do <laughs> and so it, it would they would uh, you know enjoy the game more and and uh um you know be more fascinated with it so i'd say that's my one thing what about you um I actually saw a little debate on social media before on my way in today, but I don't think people realize how hard it is to play 100 plus games in four or five months, or or what that's like. I th- I see, I think heading to the ballpark every day. It's I mean it's awesome. It's it's everything I dreamed as a, as a kid to be able to do that. But I I don't think people understand what it's like to put to to put in the work every day before before the game and. I mean, we're here hours and hours before the game starts to to see to see what we're doing to prepare just for just for that game or just for that night or, and 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 so I think I think that's really really something I don't think I don't think they understand. Obviously, um, just heading to the ballpark every day and you're, yeah. you're still playing a game and it's still awesome and stuff. But I think I think for sure, just heading to the, like the the preparation needed. Yeah, I'd say a lot of fans think that we show up probably an hour before the game. We hit off the tee for a little bit, throw, and then that's it, and we go play. I mean, yeah, we're 20 years old to 25 years old. We're in our prime, and we're the you know we're in the best shape of we're professional athletes in the best shape of our lives. Like we're we're probably in the best shape to do this. But you got to understand that we went to spring training for a month and a half before the season. Then we went to um, you know we we went to our seasons. We played a hundred you know, 40 to 100, I think it was 140 this year instead because of COVID, but, you know, usually 160 games in a row. And if you're playing every day, you got to think that's, that's what, seven hours every day of work for 162 games straight for, you know, six months, seven months straight. And um, are you talking about the, the Twitter thing today when it was Trey Mancini and they were talking about him taking an off day because he was sore? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, dude, they're playing in the big leagues. You got to imagine the amount of stress mentally on that guy, and he's also playing against the best players in the world as hard as he can every day. And not to mention, he just recovered from cancer. Uh, you know, th- this before this year, like he he took a off season all last year. Like taking an off day because you're sore is and is not like a big a big deal. Like he's he's. Like he physically, obviously, he wants to play every day, but he physically can't do it because he's so sore. And I think fans need to realize that you know, ninety percent of the guys out there are sore enough to take an off day, and and I think they do need to realize that. But finish this sentence. Other than winning, my favorite thing to do on a baseball field during a game is. 
barrel of baseball. That was easy. Uh, definitely the best feeling in the world when you take, you know, 90 plus mile per hour fastball or curveball or whatever it is and turn it around and, and, you know, hit a double or, you know, a single or even a home run. That's definitely the best feeling when you fully barrel up a baseball and everything connects. I think it's the best, best feeling in sports. Um, obviously not everybody's ex- <laughs> felt that, but, um, I'd say it's probably similar to throwing a touchdown or, or, you know, hitting a three in basketball, whatever it is. But, I think I think bearing a baseball is definitely the hardest and best feeling thing to do. What about you? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, either dri- driving a ball into the gap or, or or smoking a ball right up the middle. Or obviously, home home runs are super big, super <laughs> yeah. super cool to do. Obviously, but even even smaller things like just being on time and hitting line drive right back up the middle, or or, sh- or shooting a gap and and trying to get a triple. <laughs> When when you're when you're pushing for the for three, there's always a, a rush if if you're gonna make it or not. Or yeah. um, that's pretty fun. Finish this sentence. The most important baseball player is blank. I think it's uh, Fernando Tatis. Um, I think it was last year when he swung on a three-zero pitch and hit a home run. I think that really kind of changed. I think that was a big national discussion of of. The, the way the game the way the game is and and the young guys kind of taking over and, and playing or they say more fun or having more passion or or more playing playing the game differently than than traditionally how it's been played for 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 years in the past I think with all these young guys up and coming you look at him or Soto or um, Baez or Lindor or guy guys all over the game that that are playing with passion and 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 trying to make the game fun again or or they're making the game fun in, in their own way and um I think that's that's pretty important to I think it also reaches out to a new fan base and they're doing things and making plays that are getting posted every night and and we're like wow that like it's unbelievable or yeah he's making catches in shallow left field or he's moving to right field and making catches and making plays out there cuz he can play anywhere on the field now so I think I think he's the most important. Yeah, I think I think um, like the, the, you're saying that the guys that are breaking the unwritten rules about baseball that have been like that for the past you know hundreds of years, um, those are the guys making the most impact. I, I know what pitch you're talking about that that Tatis hit on that three zero pitch. Um, yeah, he got big trouble for that. And then who? There's lots of people that followed. Like for example, Yerman Mercedes swung on a three zero pitch against a position player, being up to <laughs> ten runs and. Um, in my opinion, I think that uh, you, you know, like he's he's trying to put food on the table. He's facing a position player. This is the easiest home run he's going to get all year. I think he should take it. Um, for me, I think it's it's Otani for sure. Um, just because you know none of us got to see Babe Ruth play, but this is a little bit of a preview. Um, obviously, I think if Otani went back and played, he would be better than Babe Ruth. But in the time. Imagine a guy hitting 500 foot home runs and also and also you know pitching and, and throwing no hitters and such, and I think Otani gives us a glimpse of, of what Babe Ruth was like and and you know gets us to compare to um, the rest of the league and uh, he's only going to get better so I think he, I think he's the most important baseball player. Alrighty, I think the last question, but uh, do do we have a future in podcasting and how soon do you think we can get our own show? <laughs> I gotta think of a name of it first if if we were to get one, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think we definitely have a, have a future, but we'll let the fans decide. Yeah, we'll see.
All right, well, this is the Road to Detroit podcast. My name's Cole Keith. And I'm Austin Murray. And thanks for everybody for coming and listening. And Tigers fans, stay tuned because we're about to get real good. (laughs) It's now time for best in class of all the players in the Tigers minor league system. This one made the most noise. 3-2 again. Swing, ground ball, right field, base hit, Austin Murr. Gage Workman's getting the windmill. He's in to score. Austin Murr has the longest hitting streak of any white cap in 2021. 13 games for Austin Murr. It's 1-0 white caps here in the second. You know what? He may not have the power numbers of the Spencer Torkelsons and Riley Greens of the world, but this young man just keeps on hitting. Austin Murr, the Tigers' sixth-round pick, was the first college position player the Tigers selected in this year's draft. He's already in high-A West Michigan. We talked about him last week here on the road to Detroit. If you missed that conversation, go back and listen to the episode Austin-powered Austin Murr, very sharp young man, and he is moving at light speed through the Tigers' system. Just 22 years old, already in high-A, He was 9 for 23, had a double and three runs batted in this week for West Michigan, and he continues to play tremendous defense. Doesn't matter if he's playing his first base position that he played in college that made him a gold glove winner at the college level or playing in the outfield. He's been terrific in left field as well. He's made more diving catches than many other players this season. He's made more diving catches in the outfield than you would ever expect a former first baseman to make. Clearly, he looks comfortable out there. Just 18 games thus far with West Michigan, he's batting 373. What video game is Austin Murr playing? Combined on-base percentage still over 450. He continues to see the ball well, nearly as many walks as strikeouts, 23 to 24. I fully expect that more power is on the way. But even if it's not, there is a super valuable skill set here. Last week, we learned the story of Austin Murr, and this week, he continues to rake. He's this week's best in class. So, that means Austin Murr is ineligible for this week's Dylan Rosa Award. That's where Nate Wangler comes in. Who gets this week's Rosa? Sometimes I think about in five years from now, when you and I look back on the infancy of this podcast, what player will we look at that maybe we didn't expect to rocket up the ladder into the MLB, but did and ended up making the biggest impact and coming out as the biggest surprise because that's the part of the show that you and I, I think, can agree on is the best part of the show is that we get to find those diamonds in the rough, the players in this minor league system that maybe weren't on top 25 or top 50 boards but end up performing that way Anyway, and I think Manuel Sequeira is the one to pay attention to. I think this is a first on the RTD. I don't think we've ever crowned anyone from the Florida Complex League or the then Gulf Coast League back in 2019 with the Rosa Award, but Manuel Sequeira is 100% deserving of it. I know we already mentioned this, but at 18 years old, he leads the FCL in home runs with 11, RBIs at 33, and 78 total bases in 2021, including those three homers in just one game. Manuel Sequeira is having an outstanding 2021, and I hope five years from now we can look back on this podcast and go, he was a great pickup by the Detroit Tigers. And you know what? Think about how fast the Tigers have been promoting players. 
the last year or so. Think about how fast these guys are moving. A year from now, let's say, you know, it's kind of like one of those 30 for 30s. What if I told you that in 2022, <laughs> we could be talking about the Jackson Jobs of the world, the Ty Maddens, boom, Manuel Sequeira, just to name a few. There are players who are checking a lot of boxes at lower levels of the leagues. And look, we, we can pretend that there is more talent than there is, but we don't have to. We're talking about an 18-year-old player who leads a league that's full of first-round draft picks in homers, RBIs, and total bases. This has the potential to be a big deal. And when we say the year is 2022 and the Road to Detroit podcast is built around the Jackson Jobs of the world, the Time Addens, the Manuel Sequeiras. Because two years ago, this show was built around Casey Mize. It was built around Matt Manning. It was built around Tarek Skubal. This year, you know who the main characters are. I'd like to think we have a pretty good success rate for the ones that we like to hone our central thesis on. We know that your time is valuable. We're not going to beat around the bush. We'll give you exactly what you need and tell you a couple of stories along the way. But this is the fun part. Time Adden, Jackson Joe, Manuel Sequeira, these stories have just gotten started. We have a lot of great main characters. We also have a very good supporting cast in the Tigers minor league system. Also, important to keep in mind, Manuel Sequeira already won FCL Player of the Week, and that was before going out and hitting three homers in one game. So congratulations to Manuel Sequeira, this week's winner of the Dylan Rosa Award. They're going to have to give him like a second player of the week plaque. <laughs> kind of like Dwight Schrute, he got two plaques in lieu of a pay raise. <laughs> the Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, we have not had a chance to have a conversation about one of the most important medical procedures in the game of baseball. And that, of course, is Tommy John surgery. Somebody who has an intimate knowledge of that, not that I'm sure he wanted to, it's Alex Fiedo. He's a Tigers top 10 prospect. And he joins us now here on the road to Detroit to help us understand exactly what he and what so many other pitchers have had to go through. Alex, it's good to see you for many reasons. How you been? I've been very good. Tell me a little bit about what this year has been like for you, because there are a lot of great books out on Tommy John surgery. Jeff Passan from ESPN, he wrote The Arm. And one of the things that I took away from that was one of the hardest things about the recovery process is patience. Is he right? Yeah, I figure it is. Um, be, going to the field every day, going to the complex, you know, uh, down here in Lakeland isn't the toughest part. I mean, you're kind of, you're used to going in and getting your work done each and every day, regardless of the situations. But yeah, it is just patience. It's it's a long process, but uh, I think so far we've we've uh, we've stacked a lot of good days together, and it's all going to uh, be worth it in the long run. What are good days? How are those defined in your situation? I think it's just going to the field or going to the complex with the uh, with a good attitude and being willing to you know get out of your comfort zone and do these uh, do some of these exercises and. You know, you're going to be running on the field outside in the Lakeland heat every day. Like, just give good effort each and every day. Listen to the to the trainers and the strength coaches. Uh, they've been here before. They've worked with a ton of guys that have uh, gone through the surgery or any other surgery, the rehab process. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they're they really good at their jobs. Trust them, communicate with them, and just, uh, you know, keep uh, bringing good effort each and every day. 
there's many people who have dove in on Tommy John surgery, but few people dive in than the people who need to receive it. So what did you know about Tommy John surgery before you got it? And how much have you learned now? I mean, I feel like each year you, it's becoming a little bit more and more common. I, I think if I would have been asked that, like in high school, I'd have been like, oh, that's that's the worst. That's the end of it, like for anyone. But now I think that that's just like, I mean, damn, you know, you don't really want to hear people having surgery, but I feel like, you know, so many players are getting this surgery and, you know, so many guys are coming back, not just the same, but better because of how their work ethics were during the rehab time. But I don't think it's something that you should be scared of. I think that, you know, it's just like anything. It's a, it's a speed bump in the road. And then you just got to just keep going forward. Why do you think so many more pitchers are getting it nowadays than say 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? Oh, I have no idea. I do not have the science behind all that. I think I know that guys are throwing harder nowadays. So you never know. Maybe that has something to do with it. But uh, maybe we're throwing more year round and stuff like that. I really don't know. I, I try not to think of that. Maybe people are just getting unlucky. I'm not sure. So I want to go back to your, you know, the, the start of all this. Tell me about when you realized something was going on in your elbow and how this all came to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that I have a kind of weird case just because uh, from uh, the pieces I put together, I mean, I was very healthy. And uh, I think it's just my body was just a little broken down after my COVID experience. I think we did a great job building me back up. And I just think that me being down so much weight, down so much muscle, even though my throwing program went great, they did a great job with me over there in the, at the alternate site last year. My bullpens are very good. So I obviously think at the time, I thought I was ready. And just first live BP, I I, uh, I got hurt a little bit. I didn't think it was surgery need or anything like that. No one did. We rehab, did everything we had to do. And then when we went back to the offseason, you know, tried to ramp up my throwing and just wasn't feeling right. So we just wanted to double check again. And just uh, results were a little bit different that time. So at least I know I felt like I was doing everything right. It wasn't like I was in the quarantine, like, I felt like I was prepared going into spring training. And I think just having that COVID experience was really tough um, on my body physically. But, you know, there's nothing we can really do about it. So really, it's just, you know, maybe trying to treat it as a blessing. Hey, I got a new elbow and uh, a lot of time to work on myself uh, physically, mentally, all that and be better from this just, you know, a year later than expected. So take me back to the COVID experience. How did that impact your spring training? Yeah, it was, spring training 2.0, I tested positive in the first test. So I was, uh, I was quarantined for 20 days and I lost like about 20 pounds. So I just came out of there. I was like 191 pounds at the time when I got hurt. I usually play like more like two, 210, 215, but now I'm up to 225. So my body was just in a, just a completely different spot at the time. I bet you probably were wondering if maybe your body or your elbow was trying to kind of compensate for that huge dramatic change. It's a big deal to lose that much weight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if my elbow was trying to compensate or anything. I think it just if you're used to doing something, uh, you know, something as as tough it is on your arm to throw as in general, and you've been working and training and doing everything you can at a certain weight, and then you're 20 pounds lighter and you're trying to do it again. It just we just didn't work out the way it was supposed to. It's going to be 2022. This is when I hope we see you on the mound. Yeah. But the crazy part will be was that when you look at the back of Alex Fiedo's 
player card, you're going to see 2019. And the next thing you're going to see is 2022. You've watched a lot of baseball during this time. You've had a chance to sit back and see it from this perspective. What has changed about the mental side for you with all this opportunity to take a step back, to get off the field and to look at it from the outside as opposed to being someone who's in the thick of it? I think my my thoughts on the game, I always feel like I'm, I'm very in tune with the game, watching it and playing it. I feel like I, I grew up around the game a lot. You know, my dad was, was my coach and has been a coach my whole life. So I feel like that part of the game is solid. But I think that it's just one of those things where you you, you always think like you work hard, you do everything and things are going to happen uh, the right way. I, I'm going to pitch good. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we're going to keep getting better. And you're going to pitch in the big league stuff like that, that, you know, that's how everyone is. And, but what this showed me was that, you know, anything can happen. So just make sure you don't take anything for granted and uh, you know, each and every day be a really good teammate, um, give it your all. And, you know, when I'm out there on the mound again, I'll be as hungry as ever. And uh, I think that's going to be a, you know, you know, part of the blessing of, of uh, this surgery and all this time off would just be, you know, just a, a really strong attitude each and every day out there and, uh, you know, expecting greatness. Tell me something that you want people to understand about the recovery and the rehabilitation that you've had to go through something that maybe we don't understand. I mean, it is a grind. I think that, uh, you know, with all our guys, not just me, and we, you know, we have a good group of guys in there. I think, uh, you know, I think sometimes people expect guys to come out of rehab, um, you know, 100% better than they were. And that's what we all expect from ourselves. But and I think sometimes people think that, you know, guys aren't doing the right thing, stuff like that. Our, our group of rehab guys work their tails off each and every day. Our trainers, our strength coaches, everyone like we come in there every day and work hard and you know, we're expecting to uh, all be ready, but I think sometimes, you know, give give some of the guys a, a little slack when they come out of the rehab because it's uh, it's tough. You uh, you know, guys are relearning how to throw, and uh, and it, it's it definitely in our in our uh, system, it's not a case of not working hard enough. So it's just uh, give some of the guys a little bit of uh, time to come back and get back to themselves. It's funny you mentioned that because Joey Wentz is coming back from Tommy John surgery this year. And it has taken him a while, I would I would guess, to feel like himself. But over the last couple of weeks, the numbers have started to look very similar to what they looked like in 2019. Have you talked to Joey? Have you been able to pick his brain about what he's going through? Yeah, Joey's been one of my go-to guys during this entire process. Um, Joey reaches out. If I don't reach out to him, he reaches out to me within, you know, each and every week. He was here for the first couple months of my, uh, my rehab. And he always does a great job. Hey, where are you at in the, in the program? Where, what are you doing now? How do you feel? You know, what are you thinking about with this? And like, we have really good conversations and he's been a very good mentor, which is weird because Joey's younger than me and he's my friend, but he's been a great mentor to me during this process um and you know he's just relaying things along the way like even him during not it's not all about me even when he's throwing he you know me and him talked and he relays how he's feeling now and I'm not you know I'm not even in games but just just for things for me to look back on and and just pick up on little things I'm really grateful for him 
How much fun is it watching that process play out with some of your former teammates like Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal, the Casey Mises of the world that you just mentioned? And how does it make you feel that you can have that same progression? Oh, I mean, it's super exciting. I think just watching the whole team in general, not even just the the pitchers. I think even watching all these hitters, the young guys, you know, played with a lot of the guys that are up there right now. Just they're all having a lot of success, all playing with a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, they're playing to win each and every day. And uh, the intensity they're bringing, knowing going out there, hey, we're a bunch of young guys, but hey, we're going to we're going to beat you. And uh, that's something I want to be a part of. And uh I mean, I, I, I watch these games. I live too much. Uh, I'm too do or die with these games. I, uh, if like they give up hits or like guys, like, you know, if anything bad happens, I start getting mad on my couch. And then it's like, like, what am I doing? I'm not even playing right now, but I, I'm invested in the guys right now. How fun is it watching the major league team do what they've done this year? Yeah. Yeah. ton of fun. I think, uh, it sparked, I think it sparked everything in the uh, organization, the fan base. I think everyone's really excited uh, how we're going to finish out the, the rest of this season and then going into next year. Well, it's not just the guys at the big league level. It's the fact that they've got help on the way. You're right in that group. Detroit Tigers, number 15 prospect, Alex Fayedo. This has been really interesting. And it's an area that we don't get to talk about enough. And being able to watch guys like Joey come back and guys like you working your way back. We saw, I mean, Tarek Skubal came back from this once upon a time. So to see you guys being able to come out the other side of it is really, really interesting. And it's always been fascinating. I can't thank you enough for doing this and helping to kind of teach us a little bit more about the behind the curtain dealings with Tommy John surgery. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. That's Alex Fayedo on the road to Detroit. It's now time for the road ahead. Before we preview what's to come in the Tigers minor league system this week, don't forget next week we will open up the Road to Detroit mailbag. We will answer your questions. And the best way you can get those to us about anything related to the Tigers minor league system, find me on Twitter at ThatDanHasty. Send us your questions. We will answer them coming up next week on the Road to Detroit. We are headed down the home stretch. Make sure you subscribe and do not miss a minute of what could go down as the most important season in Road to Detroit podcast history. That's the cool thing about this podcast. It kind of serves as a time capsule because you can go back. The receipts are out on this show. You can go back and see what we said about Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize back in season one. But go find us. Make sure you're following the show. Click subscribe and give a five-star rating to Nate Wangler's beard. It's red. <laughs> Some of the Australians in West Michigan called him a ringer recently. I guess that's a, that's a, that's a redhead. Yes, that's a... <laughs> For a minute, Nate thought he was like helping the team this week, like going to come out and play. <laughs> this week, Lakeland travels to St. Lucie for a six-game series against the Mets, while West Michigan concludes their home schedule with an interesting test, a six-game series against the Great Lakes Loons. That's the high-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're also in first place in their division. As for AA Erie, they head to Altoona for their last road series. In Toledo, they go to Iowa to take on the Cubs for a six-game set. Also, our thanks to Colt Keith and Austin Murr. Austin Murr, by the way, the first repeat performance here on the Road to Detroit podcast. He has been with us now on back-to-back episodes. Wonderful job by the two of them as they gave us our first ever players-only part of the Road to Detroit podcast.
We've got some important shows coming up the next couple of weeks. And the best part is you get to join us because you're a passenger here on the road to Detroit. Our thanks to our producer, Nate Wangler, and to you for listening. My name is Dan Hasty. This has been the Road to Detroit podcast. And until next week. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.